Hi, I'm Mike Oppenheim, and you are listening to Coffin Talk, Interviews with the Living, a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. And this week, I have a very near and dear friend who I used to live with, who's calling in from Portland, Oregon. His name is Pepe Guzman, and uh, I think if one or two things had gone slightly differently in his life, uh, I would be begging to interview him because he's the most still potentially famous person I've ever known in my life, meaning he's well-read, he's brilliant, he's witty, he's interesting, he's very different from anyone I've ever met, and he has an army of friends who will swear the same thing. So without further delay, Pepe, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Mike, and uh, I, I can say the exact same thing about you. Um, you know, as noted, we're kind of bizarro images of each other. <laughs> I think the baseline that you described uh, about me very nicely, thank you, applies to you. I think where we skew different is that you're, you know, extremely focused and, you know, get things done, <laughs> where I am pathologically lazy. Almost to a crippling extent. But thank you so much for that warm intro. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I would agree with most of that, but not all of it. Um, and I will say, though, that you were so inspirational to me in life that I based a character in a novel, with your permission, of course, on you. And uh, not only that, but to this day, you remain by far the most uh, simpatico roommate I've ever had. And that's at the risk of offending a lot of people who listen to this because I've lived with a lot of people. But we, we, I was explaining to my wife, we'd watch Jeopardy together. We'd play Scrabble together. We'd take smoke breaks together. I mean, it was pretty awesome. It was very awesome. The only hiccup was uh, when you devoured salsa, <laughs> an entire jar of salsa <laughs> in one sitting uh, before I got to it. For those of you who don't know, Mike loves chips and salsa. You might say, yeah, who doesn't love chips and salsa? I think that like any Mexican restaurant by him has changed their free chips and salsa platform. They're like, oh, this guy's going to put us out of business. So. But yes, you were an amazing roommate as well. Uh, none, none better. Awesome, man. Well, I miss you a lot, but this podcast has become a great vehicle for having intelligent and interesting conversations with friends who live far away. So normally I wait and kind of interview the person and get background info, but I just like to go with my intuition. And I had a feeling it would be better to actually start the podcast with the essential question of the entire show, which is what do you, Pepe, think happens when you die? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, um, I personally like to think um, that, you know, I believe Einstein said that, or, or someone said that, Energy, you know, can't be destroyed. It's just redirected. That's a um, paraphrase. Um, so I believe that, you know, our soul or the energy that animates our body, um, once we die, it gets redirected into another form, whether that forms a comet, another human, a bird, a tree, uh, a bee what have you, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of reincarnation. I don't think it's as linear as, you know, I was Rasputin, then I was Genghis Khan, then I was a peasant. Um, but I think that, you know, that energy which animates us and the energy which is present in every atom, you know, uh, is in a sense God. And um, for lack of a better word, and, you know, we just kind of that uh, energy shuffles from place to place. 
I mean, that's a fantastic answer. It's very intelligent, and it really leaves a lot of room for different behavioral analysis, which is kind of why I wanted to ask you first, because I think obviously the point of the show is to find out literally like how people's views on death affect the way they live. So I'm curious, you are one of the more strongly socially considerate people I've ever known. You uh, convinced me in a short period to care about other Americans with healthcare, for example, because I was a young 20-something who had no health bills and didn't care. So I'm curious, since we don't know where we come from, like your atom energy might be from someone or not, does this affect your opinion of like crime and punishment, like the death penalty specifically? Uh, no, not, not so much. You know, um, I, I think that... You know, I, I've always thought it would be horrible to look at someone and, uh, you know, let's say someone's in a wheelchair and be like, well, they're paying a karmic penalty for their last life. You know, um, I I think that uh, morals uh, should be totally independent of either religion or where we think that um you know, we're, we're going to, um, you know, spend eternity, um, you know, like, oh, don't do that. You're going to go to hell or, oh, you do that. You go to heaven. I think that, you know, we should act in a humane way towards other people because it, it's the right thing to do. Um, as far as like, um, the, the death penalty, um, you know, I'm, pretty far left wing um you know I'm, I'm a socialist what have you uh i i personally don't but but i'm not what you'd call liberal necessarily <laughs> yeah uh i you know i do think that in certain instances you know the the death penalty it, let's just say this in a utopian society if, if someone you know if, if we're not factoring in socioeconomic, if we're not factoring in severe mental health issues, um, you know, in a perfect world, uh, if someone were to, you know, be violently antisocial with no help or hope of redemption, you know, should should that person be killed? Yes. You know, and, and also... Uh, I've, I've, I'm not a saint. If someone were to, you know, hurt someone close to me, kill someone close to me, or, you know, I think uh, hurting children in particular, anyone who's defenseless, um, you know, I, I, I'm not going to, to say, oh, they, they shouldn't be killed. Um, you know, is, is all life sacred? Absolutely. Do we have a right to live as human beings 100 percent um at the same time you know do are there acts that you can forfeit that right i, I believe that there is great answer and well thought out this is uh working exactly how i wanted which is you're a very good thinker you think out loud and you think in a good order and you kind of explain it it's something i really liked was how you explained with atoms and stuff that it might not be linear because I think that's really fascinating because I know like in this dimension we're all tied into time and we think everything's linear but obviously the more smart physicists among us and even the dead ones have been saying for almost a century now that that's probably not true and it's relative so I, I really like this idea and I, that's why I'm kind of seeing how it would fit into as you called yourself a socialist which is awesome because I, I do think that's pretty accurate because <laughs> that's kind of maybe how you're going to come across um I am curious, on the immediate subject of death, 
Do you believe that you can communicate with people like as they're leaving Earth or as they're dying or after they're dead? Or do you think it's just that's it? It's done. You know, I I kind of view that as uh, I believe it was David Hume who once said, you know, nothing is, is impossible. There's just degrees of improbability. Um, I, I certainly wouldn't be the one to say that, you know, you, once you're dead, hard stop, you know. But it, it would be impossible to, um, you know, communicate with the dead. Uh, I personally haven't. You know, it's it's funny. Um, you know, uh, my my father passed away. My grandmother has, has passed away. But, you know, people closest to me who have passed away, you know, I dream about them at times. And. If if that's me communicating with them, or if that's me communicating with my image of them, I, I I don't see how that could you know really make a difference if if it's one or the other. So in that sense, you know, it's kind of that old saw that as long as you're remembered, you're you're still alive, right? Beyond that, um, I've never had any communication with the dead. But I certainly wouldn't say that it's impossible. That's cool. And that's really interesting because I was going to actually ask you about your father because I think that's the hardest loss if if and when that happens to anyone. And I know that that's like rough. And I think the way you just answered it was actually took away any of the other questions I wanted to ask because I do think the dream world is just the most strange thing we have. Oh, and by the way, triple bonus points for quoting David Hume like <laughs> on a podcast. That was awesome because I advertised you as brilliant. So I was like, he better show up today. So yeah, that's really cool. Not that you've suffered and lost people that you love, but that you're open to that and that you you kind of see that. And there is, I think, some healing for me, at least personally, when I have dreams of people who I love that aren't with us anymore. I feel like a little better the next morning. And even with my son, who's like somewhat estranged from me, like I have these really vivid dreams with him and they actually help. They're so realistic that I wake up almost feeling like I visited with him. So that's pretty cool. But I am curious with your wisdom and with all these opinions, do you see religion as having its place? Absolutely. You know, like it's, it's a great question and it fascinates me. Uh, like, like KRS one once said, I'm a philosopher, I think very deeply, and um, I do think deeply about religion quite a bit. Uh, I, you know, I'm Jewish, I was born Jewish, I represent it, hey, I'm Jewish. Um, but like, I don't believe in the Torah, you know, or the Talmud or anything like that. Um, you know, I, I think of myself as being spiritual rather than religious. I believe that uh, religion is a straitjacket on spirituality. Um, you know, all that being said, um, the you know the the net, as you put it, the net good. Let's let's just take Christianity. Um, you know, there's a case to be made that without Christianity, uh, slavery would still be widespread even human sacrifice, uh, all, all kinds of things, uh, because Christianity, in in a way, introduced the idea that, like, hey, don't be a dick, you know? Uh, the message of Jesus itself, you know, is, is beautiful, you know? Love everybody, turn the other cheek, you know? Don't throw stones. So, um, you know, over centuries... You know, it evolves into like, well, we're we're saying love everybody, 
I can't really keep slaves in, can we? You know, it, it's kind of the bedrock to a moral code. Um, now, the bad that comes from religion is that, you know, people take, again, Christianity, a message, hey, love everybody, and, you know, kill people over it. It, it doesn't quite make sense. Uh, it's not necessarily the religion's fault. It's just people manipulating the religion for their own ends. Uh, but in the grand scheme of things, I believe that religion is a net good. Uh, is it, can you repeat that? Is a what? A uh, net good. Oh, a net good. Okay, sorry, sorry. I think you said a necktie for some reason. Oh, no, sorry. I, I was smoking a cigarette. Aha. Uh-huh. That was actually going to be one of my last questions to ask you is, do you still smoke? <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> um, so may I ask you, how old are you? Are you 46? Uh, 48. 48, okay. Do you plan on quitting at 48? Does that even like remotely bother you, scare you? Hey, everyone. If you're a fan of the show, please head over to MikeyOp.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us, and it's free. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P dot com. Thanks. No, um, I'm really good at smoking, so <laughs> I feel like it'd be a tragedy. Um, yeah, I'm not good enough to get paid for it. I'm not a professional smoker. In fact, I pay to smoke. Um, but no, weirdly enough, that's um, never, you know, I've never tried to stop smoking. Um, yeah, I, I know it's awful, and I'm giving money to some of the biggest bastards in the world. But uh, I really enjoy it. You know, I would love to pause on this subject and ask you more questions because I quit smoking and I'm glad I did for like all the reasons anyone who quits is. But I still always tell people it's my favorite thing I ever did in my life. Like there's nothing. uh, First of all, there is research that nicotine does actually really give you these like creative bursts of energy and stuff. So I don't think it's a stretch to say that it is like wonderful in that way. Now, obviously smoking the vehicle through which you're taking it in is like disastrously bad for you. Have you ever thought about chewing nicotine gum or like using these new, like, I mean, there's a lot of products now that are designed to help people still consume nicotine, but not physically inhale smoke. Do you, do you care for that at all? No, no. Nine years ago, I was pretty ill and I was hospitalized for a while. And when I was in there, you know, I wasn't, even thinking about smoking, you know, I was just like, uh, and they're like, oh, we better give them a nicotine patch. And I'm like, oh, okay. And, uh, it, it, uh, kind of made me nauseous. It, it didn't work out for me. Um, so, you know, since then, uh, no, just, just, uh, the old cigarettes. Uh, that's, that's the thing for me. Yeah. And I understand all that. And, uh, I'm not expecting to talk you out of it, nor am I even trying to, I'm actually just trying to figure out the mentality of someone and how they make choices. So you have no fear of death. I'm going to guess. Is that correct? I wouldn't say that. I have like kind of recently developed this anxiety about driving. It, it's really specific, like in specific places. I can drive around town without any problem. But sometimes on the highway, I get really, you know, anxious. Not not to a panic attack point. I wouldn't say that I'm scared of dying. I would say that I, I do enjoy living. But I, I honestly, I rarely think about dying. 
if, if that makes sense. Yeah, of course it does. It's also a good way to live. You know, the driving thing is interesting because I've always had anxiety about driving and I've been in, I mean, like three really serious car accidents. You, you remember obviously one of them very well because you helped me re- rehabilitate and that's when we became roommates. I rear-ended someone about two years ago, so that was the first time I'd ever caused one. But I, I've been in these situations where someone's recklessness or just carelessness is what nearly killed me multiple times. So I, I not only understand that anxiety, but I think it's probably like decent for people to have some relative anxiety when driving. But I do, I'm kind of curious, is there like maybe the same way like dreams speak to you? Do you think there's like a deeper intuitive feeling you have that maybe this is like a way to avoid death? That if you follow that anxiety, you'll you'll reduce your speed, you'll be more careful? I would think so. Um, it's, it's funny because it's, in particular, uh, it's driving to my friend Brittany's house. She lives in the Dallas. And I drove there recently with a friend. And, uh, you know, she was well aware of my anxiety. And we got passed by literally every car on the road, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so it's an hour and a half drive. It took us two and a half hours. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you know, it, it was bad. So... I, I I don't think that it's a bad thing to pay attention to what your psyche is telling you. I, I'm not hurting anybody. Uh, maybe I'm irritating someone behind me. They can pass me. It, it's a harmless way to respond to that anxiety. Yeah. Also, like, take your time. I mean, unless you have a real reason to be in a rush, which most people shouldn't, it's that's kind of how most accidents happen is people are just too much in a hurry. But um, I did use a specific word and I, and I would love to hear your take on it because since we parted ways and I moved back to California and then went through a lot of changes in my life, I um, have become like a huge proponent of like trying to not only tap into my intuition, but to also listen to it. And so I would love to ask you because you're my philosopher, what is your opinion on intuition? Do you have any theories on it? Do you believe strongly in it? Yeah. You know, I do believe in intuition and, you know, I think it's, very important to listen to it. You know, it's, um, we, we forget that we're animals, you know, essentially we're not essentially, but in fact, what we are, we're animals and every other animal is born with an innate sense of, you know, the birds find soft for the winter, uh, sense of preservation, what have you. Um, you know, I believe that humans are, obviously wired in the same way you know we have our own things that have either been you know smothered by society as like well that's not rational um you know or smothered by science like well we can't prove that so therefore that can't exist um but i 100 percent believe that you know intuition is something that's in every human being and, you know, I think it's something that we would ignore to our peril. Um, you know, that's that's not to say that all intuition is rational. And I think that's the tricky part is to decide what is rational and what's irrational intuition. Um, and, to you know, in, in all cases, you know, to to act on your intuition in a way that's not going to hurt anyone else or yourself for that matter. Yeah. Right on dude. That was very spot on um, in my opinion. So uh, I'm curious, and this might take you a second to think about what is the best intuitive decision you ever made? Man. Yeah. Well, it certainly wasn't in fantasy football. Um, <laughs> that's, that's where my intuition becomes, 
irrational, but that's an example of bad intuition. You know, it, it's, I don't know if intuition or desire, but in high school and junior high, uh, I was really interested in getting attention. <laughs> so, you know, I uh, was a theater guy. I, when I was in middle school, did stand up, stuff like that. Um, and you know, like I did well until I didn't. So I would say that's, you know, I just knew intuitively that I could do that. And it's something that at that time gave me a great sense of joy. How, how often do you get told by people who know you somewhat well that like you could do comedy? Cause I have definitely told you that. Yeah. You know, I lately it more, it, it's like, Oh, you should be a podcast guy. And I'd love to, you know, this is great. You know, but then we get back to that laziness thing. <laughs> but yeah, I, I've been told that many times. The thing is, I, I mentioned I did uh, stand-up. I did it, did it. Oh, this is great. And then I bombed at uh, a talent show. And I was like, okay, <laughs> that's it for me. And I don't regret it. Uh, I don't regret it at all. Like not doing stand-up or not doing comedy. You know, it's it's far easier to like sit around, say something funny than to construct a sitcom or, you know, something of that nature. Well, you know, here's the thing. What I'm really essentially asking you over and over and over again is to explain your lifestyle. And so I want to explain it in reverse to you and my audience why I'm doing that. It's that, I said this at the beginning, but you're definitely one of the most unique people I've ever met. And one of the reasons I think that is that, yes, you have anxiety sometimes, but I will say the following. You're definitely one of the most self-content and self-assured people I've ever met who isn't obnoxiously arrogant and mean and like weird about it. You just seem to have this, you just take it as it comes. Even with your father, which I mentioned, you just have this unique ability in my perspective to take life as it comes. And so I'm trying to figure out where that philosophy came from and all of your answers explain it, but they don't give like this exactly clear like sentence I could sum it up in. So I'm going to turn the tables on you. How would you explain your life philosophy? What is your motto, so to speak? I believe that, you know, at least for me, I believe that for human beings in general, uh, what we all look for is peace of mind, right? And some people look to obtain peace of mind outside of themselves. You know, like, ah, if only I had a Ferrari, then I'd be happy. Or, you know, then whatever, some type of status symbol. When I was 19, I came up with what I called uh, the secret of happiness. And it's it's not really a secret of happiness. It's, um, I think, a guide to obtaining um, peace of mind. And uh, I'll, I'll just go through it. It's three things. I and a bunch of my friends uh, would go to Venice Beach on occasion and like hand out flyers saying, here's the secret of happiness. Uh, this girl I was dating at the time, her grandmother said that I was trying to start a cult. <laughs> and I was like, ah, if I charge for it, maybe I'd be rich right now in a bathrobe, you know, in Beverly Hills. But I didn't. But it's uh, three things. The first thing's question authority. Um, because if you don't question authority, it can lead you into dark places. Uh, for instance, you know, you could get sent to war. Uh, it's, it's unfortunate now there <laughs> of fake news and stuff like that. Uh, you know, maybe this has shifted too far. Um, but I think a healthy distrust of, you know, government authority in general is is a good thing that being said 
eh, when you're in the midst of a pandemic that's killed, you know, over a million people, probably get the vaccine, you know, whatever. Um, the second thing is to, as best you can, not care what other people think about you. Um, you, you have to make your own decisions as to how you should live your life, um, how you should dress, how you should act. Um, you, you can't worry about trying to please other people or other people's perception of you, because if you do, you're constantly going from one lily pad to another, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to have sure footing. Um, you're, you're going to have anxiety like, oh, my God, did I say the right thing here? Did I say the wrong thing? Oh, what are they going to think if I wear this shirt? Um, so, you know, be confident in who you are and how you present yourself. Uh, the third thing, which is tied to the second thing, is that being said, be a good person. Be positive. Uh, the more positive energy that you put into the world, the more positive energy you'll receive. Um, aside from, you know, it's not cool to be a dick, you know, you, there's there's no need to be. Um, you know, certainly if someone slights you or whatever, you know, uh, I'm not saying that you know, turning the other cheek is going to make you happy or anything like that. Um, but, you know, for the most part, just be, be kind, be good. And people, for the most part, be kind to you. Um, and I, I feel that going back to the second thing, not caring what other people think, as long as you can look at yourself in the mirror and, and say, I'm a good person, I did the right thing here, if if someone else doesn't accept me for who I am, that's on them. Yeah. So that's that's it in a nutshell, really. That was remarkable. That was like better than anything I could have ever planned for or asked. That was incredible. Wow. I'm going to re-listen to that. I'm very good at two of those three, and I'm very bad at one. That's really cool. That really answers, because uh, at the beginning, you made a joke about crippling lack of discipline, but I would say your philosophy is obviously what's crippling discipline, because discipline is required to achieve goals that are outside of your philosophy, and I think that's fascinating to me. Now, that doesn't mean, just because you're like one of my best friends ever, that you shouldn't quit smoking, but also, you never know. You never, ever know, and so I just think it's amazing. Is there anything you want to tell our audience before we take off here? No, just that, uh, you know, all of y'all know Mike is an amazing guy. If you did know, he's also an amazing musician. He, I've got a CD in my car. God, what, he gave it to me 15 years ago? I, I don't even know how long I've had it. But, you know, I'll still throw it in and really enjoy it. I, I wish I had the a tenth of your drive and willingness to apply myself uh, that, that you do. So it's something I really, you know, other than your, your intellectual prowess, you know, something I've always really admired about you is that you're always applying yourself. And, you know, I'm so happy with your wife and your daughter. I think it's wonderful. And I know that, like, certainly in time, you know, your son, that's going to be an incredibly positive relationship, too, because you're an incredibly positive guy. I can't imagine which of the one things of um, 
you know, the, the, the three things that I pointed out. It certainly isn't question authority. And I, I've never seen you act cruel or malicious in even the slightest way. You know, you're a, an extremely unique individual. I've never gotten the impression that you try to tailor yourself to other people. I don't, but I do worry about what other people think about me in a way that is not fun to be, but it does make me nice. So I just, uh, I spend a lot of time thinking about not what others think of me as if, uh, am I like popular or anything like that, but do they think I'm like net positive, like for earth, the same way religion. So anyway, that's way too much about me. That was so flattering. I, I want to cut all that out and not put it in, but I'm going to force myself to because that was seriously kind of you. And, and I do appreciate it. Pepe Guzman, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us all the way up from Portland, Oregon. For the rest of you listening, once again, thank you so much for supporting our humble podcast. We are always looking for subscribers at MikeyOp.com. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com. Once again, my name is Mike Oppenheim. You have been listening to Coffin Talk. We have been talking to Pepe Guzman, and we will see you soon.